Welcome to the Toka Backstage Podcast. Join Toka's Executive Director, Chris Wolf in conversations with the artists and people behind the scenes of the Torrance Cultural Arts Foundation's performances and events. Hi, this is Chris Wolf, the Executive Director of the Torrance Cultural Arts Foundation. Welcome to another edition of Toka Backstage. Uh, recently, it was my honor to speak with John Armstrong, a world-class award-winning magician, who we will be presenting a virtual magic show on Saturday, July 25th at 7 p.m. It's truly going to be an amazing event. You won't want to miss it. It's being presented through Zoom, so you know that what's happening in front of your eyes is actually happening and John is actually doing it. We've actually worked with John a couple of times on some special events, a gala, a murder mystery dinner, and now we're, it's actually just gonna be John in front of a camera, uh, streamed live right into your living room. So I urge you to get your tickets early. It's only $25. Again, it's Saturday, uh, July 25th, 7 p.m. You don't even have to get dressed up to go out, but you can grab a drink, grab a deck of cards, because he'll be doing some interactive stuff with you. So it'll be just truly amazing. I urge you to get your tickets on Eventbrite. You can go to our website or our Facebook page um, and click on or click on the link that's provided with this uh, information. Get your tickets Sunday, July 25th, 7 p.m. We look forward to seeing you soon back in the theater when we go actually present live performances. But until then, we're going to be coming straight to your living room. We hope you enjoy the show. And um, here's my conversation with John. Um, so, John, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. We're, we're really excited about the show coming up on July 25th uh, online. I was going to say at the theater. I know, um, right? It's so weird to say that. Isn't it strange? It is. You know, it's sort of a good thing, bad thing, because it used to be my my audience was just Torrance in the South Bay, some outside that area. I mean, we've had people come in from Santa Barbara and San Diego, but now it could theoretically be international, right? Yes, absolutely. So um, you are an extremely well-respected magician, and you've been doing it for a while. I'm I always have to find out, how did you get into the, the art? Um, so I grew up in Orlando, Florida, cultural center of the world, land of opportunity, if you're a roller coaster. And, uh, and I, as you probably guess, I grew up in a theme park. And uh, the theme of that park was uh, trailer. And so, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I grew up around Disney World and uh, all the dis all the different theme parks, and and uh, everyone associates Disney with Orlando, but there's far more other parks: the Universal Parks, the SeaWorld Parks at the time, um, the Busch Garden Parks, uh, another a park called uh, Boardwalk and Baseball, which was a weird park that's no longer there. Um, and so there was always uh, after the after you've ridden the Haunted Mansion a gajillion times, though that fascinated me about trying to figure out how the effects worked. Um, you start realizing if you're going to the parks all the time, there's other things to do, like the acts that were performing as, you know, either street performers or stage performers or whatever. And I saw my first magician um, at a place called Boardwalk and Baseball. Uh, I think it was actually Circus World at the time, um, which is a, yeah, another weird park. Uh, and um, they, uh, and I saw him do big stage illusions and I went, that's amazing. I want to do that. And then I saw a guy at SeaWorld later on do a show that had more like manipulation type stuff, you know, like the actual sort of, you know, this type of 
you know, pulling cards out of the air and actually doing sleight of hand. And uh, I saw that and I went, I want to do that. Uh, and I started going to that show and just over and over again, um, uh, talking, talking to that guy afterwards. And he finally realized the kid was going to keep bothering him unless he taught him something. So he taught me a couple of things and then he introduced me to a bunch of books and then sort of sent me on my way. Um, and so I was reading books and really into it. And then I would, I was about 14 when at the Disney studios park, which is, I think now it was at that time it was called the Disney MGM studios. And um, I saw a guy with a deck of cards and some coins just for a group of people who were no further away from me than I was from him. Like this basically like just like close distance. And I went, I'm going to do that. That's what I want to do. None, none of the stage stuff. I want to do that. And at that really where my love of magic uh, sort of cemented. And I um, was very fortunate that once again, that man uh, was nice enough to start talking to me, giving me some ideas, setting me on my way. But unlike the other, the first gentleman, this, this, this man named Terry Ward, who still performs at Walt Disney World to this day, who still the, uh, has done uh, five shows a day, five days a week for the last 31 years. Uh, and he became my mentor, like a really, like started teaching me, I took magic classes with him, and he became a real mentor, like a real guide through magic. He was introducing me to magicians that had skills that he necessarily didn't have, because as you know, magic is a varied art, it's not just about one thing, it's about lots of different things, and so, you know, if you want to learn about mentalism, talk to this guy, and if you want to learn about, you know, really hardcore card slides, talk to this guy, you know, and the best thing about Terry was, is that he was able to then take all of the stuff that I was learning from all these other sources, whether it be books or the other performers or whoever, and then say, okay, how are you gonna make that entertaining? What's gonna be good about that? Let's work on your voice. Let's work on your diction. Where's your standing? So on and so forth. Cause he had a theater background as he had a, you know, BA in theater. And so he really cared about all that. And so I was very lucky. And so at the same time that he was telling me to learn magic from these points, he was also saying, all right, now you need to go take a speech class. I, I'm not interested unless you, I'm not interested in teaching you more unless you really work on your delivery. I, you, you really start needing to working on improv. We need to work on improv. So go take some improv classes. You know, he was really pointing me in the directions I needed to go. So because of him and probably the four years I spent through high school with him and then also going, getting very involved with my theater uh, department uh, at my high school, I was thespian president, troops uh, 690. Thank you very much. I was very, very, yeah. And um, so I got very involved with that. Never wanted to be an actor, very clearly. I, um, and I, I have a huge amount of respect, obviously, for that profession and all the different variations of it. But it never was what I wanted to do. I always wanted to just be a performer. So I was taking the acting craft and placing it in a different sort of uh, model. And, um, and so about, yeah, about four years of doing that, I went to... Um, uh, I started trying to, go, I went to try to go to college for, uh, for theater and that didn't work out because I was lazy and I didn't go to class. And uh, I went to, went to the theater classes, never went to the other classes that I hear you have to do. You have to go to these English classes, these math classes. I hated that. So um, I didn't do that. And, um, and then eventually I was very lucky um, when I was 20 years old. Um, I got my first show, um, my first professional. I mean, I was always performing. I was doing birthday parties and I worked as a restaurant magician where you'd go around at the tables and do magic for people at Sunday brunches and things. So I did that. My first real gig 
um, was I, that I would say is that I worked at, um, I was 20 and I got my show at Epcot and I did it for five years. And wow. so the five years that I spent at Disney was my graduate degree. So, cause there, my mentor was basically the big magician on campus for lack of a better term. Um, and um, so he was the one who was doing a lot of different things all over the park. So he had his show that he did at the studios park. I had my show that did two or three days a week at Epcot. And then there was other opportunities for a variety of entertainers at the different parts of the park in different areas, corporate events, and you know the, Di the Diamond Horseshoe, which was the which is the Orlando equivalent of the Golden Horseshoe as we have here, and all that stuff. And so I would sub into those shows. So I was learning stage. I was being doing stage magic again. And then I was, I was having to do street magic, like actual like street busking type magic, like as a, you know, a, outside in different uh, venues that they would have me. Uh, and I did like, I play like a, a Wild West gambler, you know, character at certain points. And I was, I did a thing where we did a seance at the Haunted Mansion and, and for corporate events. And so we did, so I was learning and doing all of this magic all at the same time and all, and learning from other variety performers of all different different disciplines and lessons that I still learn to this day, lessons that I am now passing on to the students that I have that I learned from guys who are singing cowboys and you know clowns that would get into balloons and you know other ridiculous things that um, are not, have not necessarily anything to do with magic, but I learned a lot from their performance technique and what they could bring uh, to an audience. And so, to answer your question, probably the longest form I possibly could have, um, that's where it all started from. And then from there on out, I, after I left Disney and I moved to Las Vegas and I did a show in Las Vegas and I moved out, I've been in the Los Angeles area now for the last 20 years. The, um, that's, that's where I started. That's why I am as good as I am because I, much like Terry did five shows a day, five days a week, I was working six, seven days a week. And there were days where I would spend the morning doing the Diamond Horseshoe, doing five shows to six shows of the Diamond Horseshoe, run in my, get in my car, run from one park to the other park, go to Epcot, do five sets at Epcot, doing the character show that I did there, doing magic. And then I would do a corporate event after that. So there were days where I was doing magic 12 hours a day, wow. just, just, just constantly. And um, it, it, it started a work ethic that I still have to this day, even in this strange COVID time. So I have to perform like it's, it's just in my blood. This is how I do it. So it, uh, when I had to pivot to this, I was very receptive into trying to learn as much as I possibly could about this new medium to try to make it an, as entertaining as possible and to give people this as, as best of the experience as they possibly could have if they were to see me live, to make it as interesting and as good as any live show. Well, I, I have to say, I, I'm sure there, there are people who will find out about this show and say, I don't know, a magician online, how good could that be? But I watched a clip that I think you may have posted on, on social media or somebody did <laughs> that was and it was obviously not a plan. It was like you were doing some kid's birthday party or something. Yeah. And it, I, I, being like having a little bit of background in magic myself, I couldn't even begin to figure out what you did, how you did it. Um, but it, just, and you could tell by the, the, the look on the people's faces that they were just like, and it was the kids that you were doing it for obviously had some sort of background in magic, the way he was handling a deck of cards. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was 
and he was just blown away. So I urge you, if, if you, anyone listening or watching this, that if you are hesitant, this man will blow you away. Um, I will try. I'll do my best. Well, and, and for those who don't know, they may, some people in Torrance may recognize you from your, your brief stint uh, in our murder mystery dinner that we did for Magic. Yeah, that was so fun. <laughs> Still friends with a lot of those guys. They're, 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 um, they're and, um, you also did uh, one of our galas, I think. I did. Chipper. Just a walk around at a gala that you guys did. Chipper was yeah. on the show as well, um, I believe. So I again, people who who don't don't think they know you, they will know you from those things. Um, and I have to I have to commend you that the, your your journey to through magic took you through so many different like you took uh, voice classes and all that other stuff. Do you think that that's something that's missing from some performers that they don't they they focus so much on maybe the the presentation of the, the trick as opposed to the overall presentation? The simple answer is yes. Um, I think uh, I'm of the opinion, and this is something that I've talked about in my lectures to magicians, um, is I don't, there's, there's, a, there's a school of thought that performance and presentation is more important than the magic itself. And then there's a school of thought that the magic is more important than anything and that the magic has to be strongest and that's the first thing. And I'm of the school of thought that if both have to be equally as impressive and, and both have to be very strong. And on one side, I, it is my opinion that if, if you only care about the presentation, if the, if the show is just about how many laughs you can get and how many you know, moments of drama, you can put into something, whatever. If the magic takes like a second, you know, like a backseat or even like, you know, is in the trunk, then you're not doing magic. You're doing performance art. And that's fine. That's not magic. Magic should be strong and magic should actually is, magic is to me is the unwilling um, sort of release to the impossible. It's not the willing suspension of disbelief, which is the, you know, the theater term. It's not the willing suspension of disbelief. It's the unwilling surrender to the impossible, meaning that like, I don't know how this works. This is amazing. There's, you know, and you're not having to pretend like you don't know how it works to enjoy it. You just won't know how it works. And not only will you not know how it works, you will believe it's impossible. You will believe what the person is doing is completely impossible. So that kind of strength of magic needs to be there. But if you don't wrap that in something that feels engaging and personal and, um, and, and has a story and has some kind of meaning in it other than just look what I can do, immediately animosity sets in. And you have this thing of like, well, I mean, if, if I knew how to, to do that, then, you know, then I could do the trick too. If I had the box, I could do it. And that, that's a big stepping point. So presentation to me is the way to take something that is impossible, that seems like it's going to be like that no one would be able to figure out and let that be as palatable and as entertaining and as engaging as possible. So that way you're not bumping up against anything because I could show you dozens of comedy magicians who are neither, who are basically, they're, they're doing weak jokes you know, um, and weak magic, and they put it together and it becomes passable, you know? And I can show you guys who are the best sleight of hand people in the world. And I would, I stopped saying, notice I didn't say performers, sleight of hand people in the world, because they understand sleight of hand on a different level. 
And some of them aren't performers, like probably the greatest sleight of hand um, practitioner of, uh, of any generation, probably for the last, you know, 100 years is a guy named Steve Forty, who is a gambling expert, but he can do anything with a deck of cards. He can do anything with dice. It's insane how good his hands are, but he'd be the first person to tell you that he's no performer. He doesn't like performing. He just knows the moves. And there's a lot of guys who are basically just a couple steps above that, where they have incredible chops, but they can't really connect to people. They don't look people in the eye. They're not really engaging with them in any sort of way. And all they're doing is, look, I can do this, and you can't. And that's, and that's ugh, no one wants that. No one wants to feel that. Yeah. So you have to do both. And um, I have put so much effort into both so that at the same time that I'm doing something completely fooling and that is amazing and seems impossible, I'm doing something so absurd and so bizarre and so hilarious that no one seems to care that, they're, that they, they're, their minds are being racked. They don't look at me as a bad guy. We're having a journey together at that same time. Um, and that's kind of what I've always done uh, with magic. And I was very lucky, like I said, to see magic from both sides from a very early age, from the highly technical guys, because there were super highly technical guys in Orlando, and, and from the performance side of things, where it's just performance, and realizing that I needed to take the best of both worlds and put them together. Well, and, and it's, you, you really sort of hit sort of my complaint about some magicians, whereas <clears throat> you, you take somebody who can who maybe has the big props and can and gets the gigs on stage, but you would think they would have maybe taken one dance lesson because they're dancing around the boxes and it's like that no, that's but then you get people like well like you and some other people that you hand them a deck of cards and they will entertain you for hours on end with just a deck of cards. To me, that is truly an art. And you are obviously one of the masters of that art. Well, like you do, from what I understand, you do have a, a prop that is very helpful in your act, which is a little tiny plunger. That I, I do. I have a plunger. I did that on Tenant Teller's Fool Us. That was uh, still their favorite card trick, if you ask them which is great. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I'll, be, I'll definitely do that in this show. Uh, you get to see that live. And I've been able to come up with really cool, fun ways to make that even more engaging and interactive. So if you saw it on TV, you're going to have the opportunity maybe um, to be able to actually follow along, do stuff with your own deck of cards and have the magic happen to you right there in your own homes. So that to me, that's Obviously, to see you or some of these other people live in person is one thing. To see you online is going to be a whole different thing. Um, would you suggest people have like a deck of cards ready for or any? Sure. Um, I think if you have things around your house like a deck of cards, I. I here's the thing. I'm hoping we have a very large turnout for this, and that we have a really big crowd. I will not be able to. Work, work with everybody. But there will be groups of people in the show that I'll be able to um, to borrow a deck of cards from, virtually <laughs> borrow a deck of cards from, and have them do stuff and shuffle cards. And we're going to be able to do a really cool trick together um, with each other. And that's going to be super fun. And, um, and there's going to be other people who, if you have just your old good old fashioned cell phone, 
so that you have your Zoom device is your computer or whatever else you're using, and then uh, you have a cell phone handy, I'll be able to do um, uh, some magic with people like that. And actually, there's one trick in the show where everybody, uh, if they have one, will bring out their cell phone and we will um, use them. So there's, uh, and then also, if anyone just happens to have a pair of dice, like you would get a Monopoly, just a regular old six-sided dice um, that you find in most board games, like Yahtzee or whatever, um, someone should bring one of those along. And uh, we're going to hopefully use all of these ID, uh, all these items, and have create some really cool magic that happens uh, in your home. You know, to me, there's like a degrees of participation for this. And obviously, watching me just pull coins out of the air or whatever—that's very passive. And my goal is to try to make the magic as interactive as possible because what we're craving now, more than anything else, is interaction interpersonal connection. We're missing so much of that because of everything that's going on. And um, my, my job and my goal in the show is to make this um, as, as tactile and as interesting um, and as engaging physically as it is just mentally and visually. Uh, it's going to be a blast. And I, I can't wait for people to tune in. I also want to comment that I, I'm noticing you're wearing um, Avengers wear. <laughs> um, and that kind of goes back to, I know that you have a love for comics, but you also were involved in creating one. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Um, I, uh, myself, a writer by the name of Mike Costa, who is a supervising producer on the show Lucifer. If you've ever seen um, the show Lucifer, uh, I think that's, I think it was originally on the CW or maybe it was Fox, I think it was Fox, and then it, now it's on Netflix, and it's in its sixth season now. Um, and um, he, he, Mike Costa, and a gentleman by the name of Ryan Brown, who's this amazing artist who has been working on, on tons of different things for all different people, Marvel, but also uh, ind independent comics, like uh, Image Comics and things like that. Um, and we came up with this uh, concept um, we called Smoke and Mirrors, and it was essentially a story about a magician like myself, a performer, who gets transposed into a world um, that is at, where people actually do magic all the time and don't even think about it, where magic is technology. So take out the magic that is the box that we're using right now to communicate and put in actual magic. Um, and because he's a magician, and because, I'm sorry, because that world never had fake magic because it always had magic and everybody just used magic all the time. Um, he's the first person to ever do fake magic. And because he's doing fake magic, they think he's this great impossible wizard. So sort of a, a Wizard of Oz-esque thing. And, um, and he has to, to basically um, hopefully contain his secrets so that he's able to pass off the fact that he's this wizard even though he's doing magic tricks. And it's basically an inverse of the most common trope there is in magic, sort of um, when magicians are used in fiction, which is a person with real magic powers passing themselves off as a, um, a stage illusionist, a fake, a fake magician. And here we're doing the inverse. Everybody can do magic, and this guy is passing himself as a great wizard, but he's just a stage illusionist. And so um, that was the main concept. And one of the cool things that we did with the book is that as you read the book, 
there was magic in the book, meaning that like the, certain things would happen as you read it. Car, you would look at a card and then you would turn to the next page and that card would be missing in the next, in the next page. Um, we would do things where you would, you know, you put your finger on a panel and you would move it around and then you would land on the panel and then the next page predicted which panel you would be on. So we had like cool interactive magic in a basic, um, 2D print format, no digital thing whatsoever. And um, it was super cool. And we got to do that with a big public comic publisher called IDW, which is like basically, it's like, it's like Marvel, DC, IDW. That's the, 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 the ranking order there. And IDW is this, um, the company that you've, they've done things like, you know, stuff you might've heard of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers and G.I. Joe, you might've heard of them. And, um, and so that's where this company does and they bought our concepts and we did it for a while. We did it for six issues and it was super fun. Um, we have jokingly decided that that was the end. The story was the end, but we, we have an idea of where it would go if we decided to ever do more of it. Um, and the concept was very popular. Magicians loved it. Um, and um, it, it was on most comic um, critics top 10 lists for that year. Like it was, it was like usually nine or 10, <laughs> but still it was on the top 10 list of most uh, things because people thought it was not only an engaging story because Mike is an amazing writer and me and him uh, came up with the main story and the main beats together and then he actually wrote it. Um, and then, um, and then the magic element, and then I guess Ryan's uh, art was just incredible. So yeah, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was something I did many years ago, but um, I uh, I'm very proud of it. Is it is it still available somewhere around? Yeah, you can totally just buy it at like at a you know I mean at a bar. I mean, are those open now? I don't think they're open now. But Barnes and Noble or online, just online Amazon or whatever. So. And what ever thought about like the movie treatment or. Oh, it's been, we've talked about that again. And there was actually at one time, you know, I think, I think the NDA has expired on that. Uh, there were, at one time there was genuine interest from a genuine large company that everybody knows. And we had meetings and then just things, you know, just things just go into the ether. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, we talked about uh, doing it. And um, there's a, there's a, there's a, there was at one time, there was this really big Hollywood buying of like anything related to magic, like um, uh, right around the same time the prestige and all those kind of movies oh, right, came yeah. out. And so then like, uh, so everyone was talking about magic things and this is one of the properties they were talking about and then it just didn't go anywhere. So. Well, you're, you're probably too, too young to remember uh, Bill Bixby's The Magician. I, I didn't watch it lot in the original series, but no, I've seen them all. Um, I, and uh, oh, of course, I mean he lived in the Magic Castle and the whole thing. And yeah, it was that's a great. And then uh, and Mark Wilson, the great Mark Wilson, the television sort of pioneer. He was the one who was the magic consultant for the show. And yeah, I remember. And, and and that was great. Yeah, no, I uh, I, I I did. I, I can't say I loved the show in its day, but I, I now definitely appreciate the show um, after seeing it. You know, on the, uh, the the DVD treatments that I've seen. So so, obviously, you're a man of many talents: comic book writer, magician, performer, actor. Um, although you claim not to be, you did a great job at that murder mystery. I thought. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, I get to stretch. I get to play. I get. I have a, this much of a range. <laughs> That's my range. And if you get a character right in that range, I'm okay. We, we, we killed it. Um, what, what, you, what are your plans? I mean, 
obviously like like us you're you're hoping that eventually things will get back to pseudo normal where people can convene again what are your plans now i mean is it just everything online do you have are you in the midst of planning something some new thing for the future um, mostly what I'm doing are the online shows and I'm doing those as, as private events and then obviously these, these public shows, which are different shows. I mean, I, I definitely, uh, I have multiple different variations on the show so that if you were to see me at a public event and then hire me for a pri private event, you wouldn't just be seeing the exact same show. Right. Um, definitely highlights. I mean, people always want me to do the plunger, but other than that, like, um, the show changes and I'm doing, um, Long story short, um, I uh, this year, this was the year that I was supposed to do was called an A-level contract on Disney Cruise Line. I've been performing on Disney Cruise Line for the last five years, but this year was the year that I really sort of bumped up into what their sort of headliner status. And um, and I was one of their, their go-to magicians. So I had what's called an A-level contract, which meant I was on for a week, off for a week, on for a week, and I was going to do seven months, on for a week, off for a week, all through the... Um, uh, the West Coast cruises, basically the San Diego cruises, the Alaskan cruises, and then the San Diego cruises back again when they would go to the repositions. And um, I'll just tell you, it was a lot of money, <laughs> and I, and it was going to be going to be a big deal. And uh, and then um, we did the crop, me and my wife, we did the um, the repositioning cruise from New Orleans to San Diego. And in the middle of that cruise is when everything went down so that's when and we we were supposed to hit all these ports and the ports were not allowing the ships to go in and so we were now i was supposed to leave five days into the 14-day cruise and we did the entire cruise because we could never get off the ship and um and we finally got back to los and uh, to san diego and during that time what would have sort of happened is that different acts would have been going back and forth so there would always be new performers on the main show and i did my main show on the first night of the cruise and uh and so during that i'm doing this main i'm doing my main i do my main show i do my adult show with this call and an adult show on disney is just as pg as anything else but it's just for the uh, up you know the up the older older people and so i do my adult show and then i have like a workshop and that's my contract that's all i'm supposed to do but because they couldn't get any other acts on i ended up doing nine shows so two shows in the theater uh, four shows for the adults, uh, two close-up shows, two wor uh, an, a workshop, and another thing for uh, as a as a group thing for the little kids, and so because I was the only entertainer on board, there was a, there was two other groups, but one was not playing ball, and the other one was great, but the one other group was not playing ball. They didn't want to do anything, so I ended up doing it all. Uh, and the last show, we actually did a show in the theater, me and this dance troupe that were the other group and uh, these da dancers. And we called it Disney's Bottom of the Barrel. <laughs> and so we did a show and it was great because I mean, literally I'm running through the ship going, all right, uh, let me take this. Um, I can build this here. Can I go down to this? Can I go down to the crew mess? And I, I'm literally grabbing pipes and stuff and building things in my cabin to, to create a show. And uh, it, was, it was amazing. And they, Disney treated me very well after that. But the reason I bring this up is that as soon as we got back to land, everything else was closed. It had been closed for days. You know, we were the last happiest place on earth. We were floating and we were, everything else in the world had closed, but we were still, you know, 
basically interacting the way we normally would. We get off the ship. I had to go home and I realized, what am I going to do? Because all that work is done. And, you know, there was this, at that time, there was that belief that, oh, we're just going to be closed for a month. I never bought that. I never bought that. So um, I knew that I had to do something. So I started taking that same ingenuity that made me run around a ship to build props, had made me run around my house to create a show that I could do online, a show that I could do for little kids online for birthday parties, because I needed to make money. And I, I'm nothing is beneath me at this point. <laughs> so uh, look, it's order a, a corporate show, a workshop, you know, all these different type of things that I could do, you know, a family show that was more, you know, for a general family audience, a show that was more for adults. And, and I built all this stuff and tried to make it as creative as possible. And I'm essentially building the plane as it's taking off. And I'm already putting myself out there to do this. And so I was one of the first people in the market doing this. And I've been doing it now. Um, and the show has definitely improved over the last four months that I'm doing it. But to say that this is something, I'm taking a lifetime of magic experience and putting it into a show that is basically four months old. Um, and that's where all of this uh, energy has been going into. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but we've had a lot of time on our hands. So I've been able to actually put a lot of effort, a lot of research into this and create a lot of, I feel, very interesting, engaging stuff. Sometimes you will see online, especially on Facebook, people put their shows online and they're not, this is not what this is. This is not what I'm doing. Um, they're just filming their show that they would normally do on stage. And that is literally like taking an IMAX camera and filming a stage play. It doesn't make any sense. Um, here, we're, I am using this interactive medium of Zoom for its fullest extent. Um, and I'm making sure that I'm delivering something that is not just about you watching me passively, but it's about you engaging and interacting and doing something that you wouldn't get to do if you were watching a show on Netflix. And that's what I, what I feel is the, the, um, the selling point of all of this, is the, the interactivity and, and how engaging it can be and how fun it can be and that it's actually personal. And I can look at you at the same time that you can look at me and I can say, oh, cool screen behind you there with the logo. Ah, nice work on that. You know, and I can, I can play with the audience the same way that I'd play with a close-up audience, but unlike close-up where you can, you know, close-up loses it about, you know, two rows back and you, you can only put up maybe 20, 30 people around you. I could put a hundred, 200 people around me and every one of them still feels like they get a close-up experience, even though I have a large group of people in the room. Zoom room. So um, there's a lot of advantages here. There's disadvantages, of course. The lack of me being able just to go here, pick a card, and being tactile is obviously in a disadvantage. But um, there's so many really cool things that you can do with this. Uh, and uh, I've been having, a, a, honestly, a blast learning about it, uh, creating in the medium, and then doing stuff that people didn't think was possible. Well, and I, I imagine, too, for, for close-up, it's a lot. I mean... There are current opportunities for you, whereas, say, a stage magician who just has the props, or like the big boxes, there, there's not, unless they, they videotape an old show, there's not a lot of opportunities for them right now. No, I mean, there are, there are people who've taken to the medium and have done a really good job with it, and there's people who haven't, and I'm not going to name names, but I mean, like, the, but 
I, I feel like the, uh, even if you are doing prop magic, uh, there are definitely some people who are doing prop magic and doing it in a very good, engaging way with the audience in this medium that it works really well. Uh, and I'm not against props. Let me be very clear about that. I, I respect the heck about all that stuff. I, I, about five years ago, I went from being essentially a close-up card magician to a stand-up comedy magician you know, full time, like all I was doing was ships and, and corporate events where I was doing stand up material. And I still did card tricks and I still did walk around when I would just do card tricks um, and do the card magic that I um, that I love. But my show became very varied with a lot of other different, really interesting ideas in it. And um, and it was stuff that I was I'd always learned about and then applied to card magic and then decided, hey, wait a minute, why don't I just stick with the original prop and see if I can come up with something else. And I've been doing a lot of really cool things. So like in the show um, that you'll see uh, with you guys, um, there'll be some card magic in it for sure. The Tiny Plunger is a, is a great example of that. It's a great interactive card piece. There's going to be lots of magic in it that have nothing to do with the deck of cards. And, um, and this will be fun pieces, again, with dice and with your phone and with numbers and with a, a, a mind-reading duck. I have a mind-reading duck um, that's gonna be making appearance in this show. So, I mean, like, it's, it's trying to come up with something that uh, appeals to everybody uh, and makes them engaged and amazed um, and, 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 and not think, well, Okay, yet another card trick, yet another card trick. I, I, I like the variety. I've become, uh, I think my years of specialization in card magic made me really appreciate how to then add variety to everything. So if you're only using one prop, you have to have as much variety as you can with the one prop. So if I take that and then I apply that same principle to multiple props, multiple ideas, multiple concepts, then I get even more variety, I get even more engagement. And yeah. um, I think it's one of the things that has made me translate my show very well over this medium is that I have thought about this and I'm not just trying to film what I've always done. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it, like you said, it's cool because you, you're not actually just performing to a, a camera. You're, I mean, you are, but you actually have people there watching you live who you can interact with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you ask them to think of a number, they can actually say a number or if you're just taping or filming whatever you're doing, just to play it back, it's there isn't that interaction. So yeah. it's like it's like you said earlier. Earlier, there is a, still a, a personal connection with the, with this show. Oh, absolutely. I, I think I feel everybody will get to have at least one, maybe not with an actual tactile object, but have at least one moment where something magical happened, not only to someone else on a screen, but to them. Awesome. They get they got to experience it. Well, again, just as a reminder, it's Saturday, July 25th at 7 p.m. Um, and you can get your tickets on Eventbrite or just go to um, our Facebook page. And, John, thank you so much for taking the time. I certainly do appreciate it. Glad to be here. It's been a while. It's been a while for everybody. I haven't seen anybody live for a long time. <laughs> Last time I saw you, you were performing in the castle and you had this big group around you. And I just, like, peeked in and I was like, Oh, cool. John's performing. And then we turned and walked away and you said something like leaving already, Chris. And I'm like, Oh shit. It's on me. <laughs> that um, sounds like me. <laughs> anyway, thank you again. And we look forward to seeing you on the 25th. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. Bye. -bye.